and welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm your host, Adam Tarno, joined as always by my co-host, John McGee. John, why don't you let the audience know what we got in store today? Hey, Adam, going to be a fun episode uh, today. We have got Scott Kadersha with us, and Scott uh, has the distinction of being the only person on staff who's graduated from Wake Forest. He is our only demon deacon. Do you want me to sing the fight song no. for you? That, no, we that, don't no. want that. No. In my head, it's playing right now. Good for you. A lot of pride. <laughs> so uh, today, we're talking about marriage ministry. Yeah, and you guys, what, combined... Probably have 30 years of experience. <laughs> probably, yeah, probably 30 plus. But yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, you guys both, what, 16 years in marriage ministry. So we got a wealth of knowledge here. But um, so a lot's changed in the last 16 years, yeah. I would imagine, from yeah. when you guys first jumped in and started helping out with marriage ministry. So we thought today what we do is just talk about some of the trends and some of the things we continue to learn because we're learning every single year in different ways uh, and different things when it comes to trying to minister to married couples. And so, we thought we'd go over, what, five trends maybe that, that you guys are seeing and have a conversation all about that. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Well, Scott, the first one that we have down here is that the culture is still very much interested in this topic. Yeah, no question. So, you know, a couple couple days ago, actually, Adam, you were a part of this. You shared with our staff what the top episodes of Real Truth Real Quick are in the last year. And if you look at that list, a lot of those questions that people are asking are about marriage. It might be things like marriage, divorce, remarriage pornography. Uh, what do I do if I'm married and I'm in a, a sexless marriage? And so people people still have questions and they might not be uh, trusting the church like they used to, or they might be going on the internet to find their answers, but people still are interested. People are still getting married. This is something that is not going away. Yeah. And so this is an amazing opportunity. Anytime someone will listen to you, you've got an opportunity to make disciples. Like if they're interested in the topic and you've got something to say, this is an amazing discipleship opportunity, which marriage is. So right now, if I'm a senior pastor and I control the pulpit, there's things I'm talking about. Like one of them would be anxiety. Uh, right now, our culture cares about that. That's what they're uh, reading about. That's what they're staying awake uh, at night, trying to quell in their own uh, spirit. The other one is marriage and relationships. And uh, there's no pain like relationship pain. And so people absolutely still care about this. And so um, divorce rates have kind of leveled off. Um, people by and large still want to be married. There's, I think if I remember the stats right, there's a few, uh, you know, percentage points that have uh, uh, ticked up and to the right that just kind of say that we're a bit hostile to marriage. That will always be the case. By and large, uh, people want to get married. And even if they don't want to be married, they still want relationships to work, which means um, if they're interested, we've got something to say. This is like the center of the center of an opportunity to make disciples. All right, John, so that's church. interesting that you say that divorce rates are starting to level off. Why, why do you think that is? Yeah, part of the problem is less people are actually getting married. And so there's a little bit of fear. We're going to come back to this in a few minutes, but people are afraid of getting married. And so couples, instead of getting married, will choose to move in together. They'll choose to go from one relationship to another. When they're about to put the ring on the finger, they kind of back off because they're afraid and they're skittish. Yeah. And so less are getting married. But the flip side of that is that we'd say, and what we've seen is that couples who actually do commit know a little bit more and they're, uh, they're, they're better informed of the commitment that they're making. And they take it more seriously because they're afraid. They're saying, hey, I'm in this thing till death do us part. Yeah. yeah. Which really is, that is important to know, like um, they people are serious um, about marriage and maybe said another way they expect a lot more out of it yeah um is where it was very functional back in the you know maybe our grandparents like we needed to get married to run the farm and all those kind of things people now have some incredibly high expectations uh, about marriage a, a book i can uh, just reference uh is by eli finkel it's a secular book but uh, it's just called the all or nothing marriage and it really kind of dives into that idea so on the upside we probably have some of the best marriages like 
that have ever existed on the planet mm. because people are, uh, want so much and they invest so much. And so you could, you're riding that trend. If you're, if you're talking about marriage uh, on the downside is anytime you have really high expectations, uh, they can be, uh, you know, a lot of disappointments. There can be a lot of frustrations. And so, uh, so it becomes either we've got this incredible marriage and, um, look, we're the best it's ever been, or we should probably get divorced. All right, Scott, anything else that you're seeing? Yeah, just on the cohabitation side. So when I started working at Watermark years ago, if we asked about couples who were living together, very few would admit it. Very few were living together. Maybe they spent a couple nights a week together. But now, you know, 13, 15 years later, a lot of couples are living together. 60 to 80% 60 of couples will live together before they get married. Mm. And we're even seeing it in the church. And now they're not ashamed of it. They're kind of raising their hand and they're saying, yeah, we're living together and we're good at it. We just had the first, this is the first time I've seen this. When I started, parents would not pay for a wedding if a couple was living together. Yeah. Last year, we actually had some parents who said, I will not pay for your wedding. They said this to their daughter, unless you move in together before you get married. Wow. And so everyone's telling them to, to do it. Their parents, their coworkers, their friends, everyone, like their cube cube mates are all living together. And so it's just normative for couples to test drive their relationship. And so we've got to address it squarely. We can't hide behind a rock, pretend it's not there. We also can't just kind of pat them on the back and say, it's okay, you'll get married anyway. We've got, we've got to address it head on. Yeah, John. Well, that's good. And we, uh, when we work with other churches, a lot of times we tell them, hey, listen, like don't design a marriage ministry for who you were when you were uh, that age. Like things have changed. Yeah. Make sure that you're aware of that. So you might go, you know, the thing that Scott shared, well, that's just dumb, you know, like why would you do that? Well, okay, you can think that, but you're going to have to give like a winsome response to that and why that isn't a good idea. So don't assume that, uh, you know, everybody grew up in church and in Sunday school and they're sexually pure and and, you know, uh, bought into the same things you are there and just not. Yeah. And uh, you might have been when you were their age, but they probably aren't. And so you just need to be winsome, understand, and uh, address that. Yeah. All right. It's great. So if there's a church leader driving around right now and you're responsible for preaching, teaching, starting new ministries, good news, the culture still really cares, seems to care about marriage. So this is always going to be a relevant topic, maybe even now more than ever, because definitely we know that the culture has some headlines with trying to redefine marriage or there's some negativity towards it. So now more than ever, the church needs to be able to speak up and, and be able to speak into these issues. So, so that's the first trend that you guys have seen over 16 years that, that the culture is still very much interested in this topic. Scott, the second one you have is that despite that, despite the fact that the culture is still interested, you guys are still amazed at how many churches are not doing a marriage ministry. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so it's much better than you know, when John started Amen. 16 years ago and when I started a few years after that, yeah. there are churches who are doing marriage ministry. You know, we've got 275 churches using re-engage and 75 using our pre-married, 35 or 40 using our newly married material. So we're clearly scratching an itch. We're seeing churches want something, but it's still a low number, yeah. right? And so churches are still doing marriage ministry, even if they're not using watermark materials, but it pales in comparison to churches who have student ministry and kids ministry. And not that there's anything wrong with those. I think every church should reach kids and, and students. But uh, but we just have this core belief that if you're going to change kids, if you're going to change students, there's a much better way to do it. And it's to work through the parents and help them in their marriage rather than just focus on kids for one hour a week. We need to work on marriages. Yeah. So it's a complimentary ministry to a thriving student ministry is to be able to help help the parents as well. Yeah, totally. And so I think it, it was funny, man. Um, back in the day, I I would call anybody that I'd heard had a 
you know, thriving quote unquote marriage ministry. And we just joke. What I would hear back is like, I would call these churches and they say, we've got a great Valentine's day banquet, you know? Yeah. And I just thought, dear Lord, like I am not giving my life to that, you know? And Scott came on soon after and I was like, dude, we can't. Why do you do hate Valentine's <laughs> day, man? <laughs> I don't hate You're Valentine's a marriage day. pastor. But I'm not like, <laughs> I, I just, you know, I want to accomplish more than a killer uh, banquet every year. Um, and so uh, I think the church is waking up um, to the opportunity. I think one of the things that happened was the the counseling movement really took off and it kind of s- stripped away some of the authority and some of the um, the belief that the church had something to say, um, you know, during that time, probably let's call it like 70s, 80s. And the church is kind of waking up and going, hey, you know what, actually, we've got, we've got something to say, which is really, uh, really encouraging. And we're watching, you know, um, it, you know, we just use the analogy of, you know, lifting weights. Like you would never say, uh, I I'm not very strong, so I don't work out. That's what churches generally would say is like, we, we're not very good at this, so we don't. And what we're finding is that when churches, just like you go in the weight room, if you're not strong, you start lifting, you get stronger. Um, churches who are taking steps this way are becoming better and better and better and better at uh, helping couples. And so instead of kind of like sheepishly uh, coming toward this topic, they're coming very boldly and go, we've, we've been in the trenches here. We've got something to say. We've learned some things. And that has been really, really encouraging. And I think one of the, the big shifts we've seen is that churches understand that this is a discipleship opportunity. Yeah. And I think we've probably talked about that on the podcast, but my neighbors have never once come with me to church ever. And I've invited them. And even if I'm preaching or any of those kind of things, they will not come. They've come with me to things regarding marriage or parenting and things like that. So we talk about this as being a side door into the church, which um, churches are understanding, oh yeah, that that's in part what this is about. And we can disciple them. Now, they, my neighbors don't have any questions about the book of Romans. Yeah. They didn't. They don't knock on my door with their Bibles open and say, hey, could you explain this to me? Never happened. Uh, but we've had conversations you know, in the front yard about relationships and things like that. And when you can point them to God. So we talk about how, you know, uh, with, with marriage ministry, when people walk into, you know, your marriage ministry thing, whether it's re-engage or whatever it is that you do, um, you know, above the, um, the door metaphorically, people should see welcome to a sign that says welcome to our marriage ministry. And then when they leave, you know, when they're done 20 weeks later, whatever it should, the sign should metaphorically uh, say, thanks for coming to our discipleship ministry. And churches are making that connection. They're understanding the discipleship opportunity this is. And I think that's why we're seeing such an uptick um, in churches kind of engaging in this topic. Yeah, so as you listen to this, if you're on a church staff and you want to revamp what you're doing for marriage ministry, two great opportunities. One would be the Church Leader Conference uh, in April of 2019. Another would be our Marriage Ministry Training Conference. We do those throughout the year, two, three times a year. You can find that at watermarkresources.com. If you're a pastor, come join us. If you are a lay leader and you want to revamp or improve what you're doing, tell your pastor, send somebody to come. You don't have to do what we're doing. We've got nothing to sell. We just want you to take the next step in helping couples in your church. That's great. So John, where where did it start, you know, just real quickly with Watermark when you were you were handed the reins to start a marriage ministry at a young growing church? What was your first move? Um, besides panic and anger. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So what was your second move? (laughs) Uh, Looking at job opportunities at other churches. All right. Third. Uh, Okay. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, we just sat down and um, the the longer story is I didn't want this job. I didn't see the value in it um, when I, when I took that role. And um, so, but we just said, great, let's think about this. Um, We'll just, I'll just use this word without qualifying it, market segments. And so there's people that are getting married. There's people who just got married. There's people that have been married for a while. They're doing good. There's people that are married 
married, uh, been married and not, not doing great. So how can we best serve those? And so we kind of just, you know, me and people that even knew less than me uh, about this topic, we sat around our kitchen table and just sketched out kind of like a grand plan of what could be. And we began to just take next steps. And I always encourage churches to think about where they have an opportunity and they've got resources. So for example, if you've got a lot of newlyweds in your um, yeah. in your church and uh, you look out the congregation, boy, there's a lot of newlyweds here. And you've got some people that would have a heart for that, or you have people that uh, have some margin, uh, people who have little kids uh, who can't get out a lot of times at night, in, in our context anyway, but are great to uh, have newlyweds over um, at their place, put the kids down at eight and, uh, and have, you know, a great time, great meetings. Um, I would start there. And yeah. It could be you've got empty nesters who hate each other. And I would start there, you know, whatever your opportunity and whatever your resource line is, that's where I, where those two cross, that's where we encourage churches. Yeah, to so start. if you're listening to this and you don't really have a quote marriage ministry going on in your church, first conversation, sit down with your leaders, sit down with your elders, sit down with just a group of interested people and go, who has the Lord given us? Yes. And then just start there. So, uh, don't start a uh, newly married ministry if you don't have a lot of newly marrieds. That's not the place <laughs> to start, it. right? I've seen that happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. That's good. So the culture's still interested. Uh, despite this, still amazed that, that not every church is is really trying to take advantage of this amazing opportunity. Third trend that you guys are seeing, and I find this one really interesting, Scott, that the core message has changed a little bit. So unpack what you mean by that. Yeah. So the definition of marriage hasn't changed. Right. The, the God's truth hasn't changed, but the way that we communicate it has changed over the last, you know, 15 years or so. So when I started, the message was, hey, marriage is hard. You're all going to die. You can't handle it. You're too selfish. You should get out of this thing before we, before, you you can't handle it. So get out now. Yeah. And what we're seeing is, is that we don't need to convince people marriage is hard, right? All they need to do is look at the home that they grew up in. All they need to do is look at their friends or, or maybe they've been married before. We've got a different type of message now. We've got to convince people how great marriage is. Yeah. The three of us sitting around this table would all say, marriage is hard. We'd be crazy not to tell you that. But if that's the core fundamental message, then it's no wonder couples are moving in together. It's no wonder they're not getting married because they're terrified of it. And so this is an amazing opportunity for the church, not not to water it down or say that marriage is easy, to tell them it's difficult, but to tell them how, how incredible, how glorious it is. And any time we talk to somebody in our young adult ministry and they do a dating series over at the porch or something, that's what they say. They, they always have to split that message down the middle and, and say, hey, some of you need to hear this is incredibly difficult because you've watched whatever romantic comedy, you're watching whatever TV show, you've idealized it, you know what you're, you're going to have a sailor motif for your wedding, like you've got it all planned out and it's going to be amazing. Do you know right? anyone who had a sailor motif? Captain? Uh, I wanted one. Oh, you No, no I'm kidding. But <laughs> 25, Jackie, I've yeah, got an idea. Let's go do this again. Um, and so they've got that and they, they just need to hear, hey, some of you need to hear, okay. like half the audience you need to hear is bad. Now the other half, you have only heard us say marriage is hard and you're all going to die. And we need to remind you it's good. And I, I think that's so interesting now because Scott, when you and I, you know, we've been friends now almost 16, 17 years, grew up in it or not grew up, but we were in Atlanta together as young adults. I think we heard the marriage is hard oh, yeah. all, the time. all the time. And, uh, and that's what we heard. Cause that's what we needed yep. to hear. But uh, it's really interesting how we have to change that now. Yeah, it just yeah, it balanced. I think it's really well yeah. uh, said, Adam. So if you're listening and you've got you know a microphone, or even if you're just talking with couples, or, or you're thinking about talking with couples, understand that um, kind of center line that you need to walk. And we did early on. I, 
I just have this <laughs> this memory of an early pre-married uh, class and this sweet young girl who wanted to be married and married well. She was just crying and she goes, um, "Now, can you tell me like that I'm going to enjoy marriage?" And, <laughs> yeah, you know, and um, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm so sorry." Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, I love being married, and there was like which I always have. I mean, I rejoice in the wife of my youth. I really do, um, and. Uh, and yet, you know, uh, those who marry, Paul will try, will have trouble. And both of those things are true. And I, I think it's, it's really wise. You will, uh, you can get some cheap laughs, you know, on yes. the hard marriage thing. And, um, and I don't, don't know that serves people really, really well. You want to paint a vision um, that, that is, is honest, like that people will go, okay, I, you know, I understand uh, you're not selling me on something, but you want to paint a vision that's compelling. You talk about how much you love being married. And then if you have kids, like how that really is, it's hard. It's sleep deprivation. Sure. Uh, but you love being married and having kids and here's why. And that, that plays really, really well. And they kind of need to be convinced, uh, many of them, that that's possible. It'd be interesting just to, if anybody's driving around right now and is married, just ask yourself, what message am I giving? And so that's to your kids, to your peers, to, to your church, to the people that you're responsible for leading. I know that when I hear you guys talk about that, it always makes me go back and go, okay, what message am I sending out inadvertently about marriage? Am I always under my breath saying something about how hard it is? And uh, and even those jokes that you talked about, you know, the ball and chain and got to go talk to my mom too. I mean, you, you just, it's really, yeah, it's really, it, it isn't. And it just sends out a message over time. So yeah, you sprinkle a few of those in there here and there if they're funny, but if it's, if it's too much, <laughs> then people are going to start to go, I think there's some real truth there. I don't think that person likes yeah, being married. You, you, yeah. want, you want to be this congregation where people go, this is a, one of our visions, right? like in our, in our head, we say we want to be, you know, Dallas's relational hospital, um, university and, you know, CrossFit box. And so we want people before they get married to want to come here. This is the best place to prepare. Like this is at Harvard. And and, um, and then as well as if you're, man, you're hurting, um, this is a great hospital. Like just get your friends here. We've got them. And then we want to be, we want to be the place where like where fit people go. Like whether, whatever you think about the cult of CrossFit, when people go in there and come yeah. out, they're different six months later, you know, and everybody, you just assume if you go in a CrossFit box, you're going to be the most out of shape person because everybody's really in shape. And you want that to be your congregation. Like we've got some amazing marriages in our, and probably the best marriages in our city. And we talk about it and we celebrate it and we rejoice in it. Um, it's not, we don't do this just out of duty or service or sacrifice to God or obedience. We do this because it's an ex, uh, expression of John 13, like loving one another. And that's one of the ways we, we love God. And, uh, and this is the incredible joy. They're like, that's what you want to create uh, in your community. And um, I, th I think if we think about that, it'll change the way we communicate. Yeah, I was just going to add, you know, Adam, under your question of what, how do I communicate about my marriage, I'd give an additional bonus question is how do you communicate about your kids? That's good, yeah. So it's a marriage podcast we're talking about now, but we do the same thing with kids. Kids are such a whipping. They cost so much money. They wear me down, you know, and uh, preaching to the choir here. I need to be careful. It's no wonder couples are scared of getting married and they're scared of having kids. I mean, do you remember? Oh, so Scott and I, would, listeners don't know, Scott and I were in community together for a while and Jackie and I were the only couple that did not have kids. And do you remember the legit conversation I sat, you and Wes and Michael Baker, and we sat down and I was like, guys, why have kids? Because I hear, I'm watching you all and I'm listening to the way you guys are describing Guilty. this. Please tell me where the joy is in all of this. And uh, and it was really fun. And you know what it was? It was exactly what we're talking about here. Wes was, I remember him. He was just like, oh my gosh, I, I think I've just been sharing one side of this. I love it. And then he just went off and it just was that that balanced approach that I needed to hear because I had heard kids were hard. 
<clears throat> I needed to hear that they were good, and uh, and so the same way with marriage. It's, yeah, I don't like them. I, I like mine and or love mine. I don't like them sometimes. There's a reason why I do marriage ministry, yeah, and not uh, not kids ministry. But man, it it is so. Um, and with older kids now, I'm so glad that we yeah. had kids and we love it and challenging people to to think about the way and communicate about marriage and parenting and the church has an amazing opportunity here we've missed it for too long we got to change our message yeah i like the crossfit <clears throat> excuse me the crossfit analogy i think that's really good because we all know that we've never met anybody who walked into a crossfit box and didn't go tell somebody else about it <laughs> that's right? how you know they go <clears throat> or marathons you know. yeah i didn't even know where these boxes are because everybody tells me though i know where they all are <laughs> right now so anyway okay so the culture is still interested in this topic still amazed number two that not everybody is is jumping on and taking advantage of this opportunity the core message has changed a little bit was the third trend you guys are seeing. And so, Scott, the fourth one here is that uh, as churches, we need to think beyond marriage conferences. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So bottom line here is that things have changed and that uh, all you have to do is get your phone out, get your iPad out, your computer and Google, how can I have a great marriage? And you'll get 4 billion results. I don't, yeah. I don't know what the actual number is, but a lot. You go to Amazon, put marriage book in and you'll find you know, hundreds of thousands of books on any topic. And so you can find information. That's not the problem. You can you can do that 15 years ago. Yeah. But where we have an opportunity that's different than just information that's online is to actually create experiences for people that provide information, but also uh, give them a, a fun experience that, that they can have together as a couple. That's where uh, flesh and blood, the body of Christ has an opportunity to serve that the internet can't do. Yeah, and I think here at Watermark, I mean, our our formula is is rather simple. It is some mix of it's predictable. It's some mix of rows and then circles, and that's it. And and so some some you'll sit in a row, you'll get some information, and then you'll sit in a circle and you'll talk about it. So that could be replicated with 500 people or with uh, 15 people. You can do that. So any church can do that basic that basic format of cinnamon rows share some information, put them in circles, have them talking. Yeah. So back in the day, like if our grandparents were wanting to work on their marriage, they would be so excited to go to a conference, right? Yeah. You know, they go in there with a, a notebook with blanks and they come out and all the blanks are filled in and they're so happy, you know, and they're talking about it 20 years later. I got all the blanks filled in. And, <laughs> uh, and to Scott's point, they can, I mean, they've got so much content. And so content still, people want uh, content curation is a, is a, an incredible mm -hmm. gift to give people now, like give them good content, just not content because there's so much content out there. Um, That's good. And let's let's hang out on that. Okay. So there is so much noise. Oh my god! That you got to help them sift through all that. Is that what you guys are Absolutely. saying? Absolutely. So yeah. think about it. Just even even the gift of saying, hey, here's the three marriage books we'd recommend. That's great. You know, because they they go to Amazon and their eyes just roll back in their head. And they don't even know where to start, and they also read some real junk uh, out there. So curation is a, uh, you know, it used to be the publisher would curate. Yeah. They wouldn't, they wouldn't publish anything that wasn't helpful. That's not the case. Now they publish what sells. And so uh, you as a pastor, you as a leader, uh, part of your role uh, with your body or your whatever influence you have is curation and to point them to good resources. And, you know, That's and, really uh, and don't, yeah, also while, while we're here, um, you know, an even better gift is to recommend chapters and uh, not entire books. People, most people won't sit down and get giddy about reading a 350 page book. Uh, you say, hey, these two chapters I think would be worth your time. That's a great gift to give people. So, um, so that curation thing. And then yeah. I think also just just to loop back to what you said is a, a community. That's what the church can provide. Yeah. And, and or access would be another one. Like they can read people's stuff. They can listen to podcasts. But what they can't do is have the conversations and say, can I bounce this off of you? Or here's what we're struggling with. Or this is the question we had. Uh, we bumped our head here. What do you guys think? And um, that's that's what we, that's like who we are. Yeah. It's just playing to our strength. And we have seen it, like you said, Adam, that's, that's what we do. It doesn't matter what 
what we're talking about, what ministry area. We do something uh, in rows, as you would expect, and then something in circles. And um, that's what people, they want They want both. And that's a great way to disciple folks. That's good. And so, uh, but Scott, there is a little new information or we're seeing some things in the culture with the, the rise of blended families. And so that is maybe something that is beyond marriage conference, but in the last 16 years has gotten to be uh, an area that's just, it's just growing and we want to serve those couples. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah. So I just read some stats that actually one out of three marriages in 2019 will be blended families yeah. where one or both parents are coming into marriage with kids. Uh, that I mean, I don't think we realize how much that's one out of every three marriages are going to be blended. And then statistics go on, and the divorce rate for second marriages is higher than first marriages, and third marriages higher than second. We're talking 60%, 75% of marriages. Second and third marriages will, will not last. And so, man, we have such an amazing opportunity there. What, what I actually heard the flips out of all that is that 80% of blended families will survive and thrive if you give them a plan, if you give them community, if you resource them. Wow. And so this, honestly, this- Say say that over again. Yes. So 80% of blended families will survive and thrive if you give them community support, if you- uh, if you integrate them into the life of the church. Yeah, yeah. which starts with just recognizing that they're there, they're there. right? That, yeah. that we understand you have unique challenges. That is it. And so um, I think, yeah, you're there and let me give you hope um, because yeah. I think historically what's happened is, and, and we listen, we're supposed to hold out a high view of marriage. And um, we, we read Matthew 19, like we believe it. I mean, uh, what God has separated, let no man, or what God joined together, let no man separate. Like that, we say that, we have to believe that. And so you can still do that and ignore knowledge who's, uh, who's in the room and then give them hope. And so, you know, pastor, communicator, leader, wherever you are, just to acknowledge, Hey, I know you're here. And I know that, um, you know, maybe that's not your story. Find someone uh, that does have that story and help, help them under, uh, help you understand the intricacies of that. You know, um, think about how hard it is to parent kids when they only have two parents and when they're spread out across multiple zip codes and bouncing between homes, that that's incredibly yeah. uh, difficult. And you, you know, everybody's got one crazy aunt or uncle in their family, but now you, you know, the math is going to necessitate that you've got even more and it's really complex. And so just to let them know, Hey, I know, I know that you're there. Um, I, I know how hard this is. Make an illustration, like make a hero out of somebody who is a blended family, uh, who's doing a really great job. And like, especially when their remarriage story was, um, you feel, like was aligned uh, theologically with your church's uh, view and then give them hope. So Scott already told you about um, uh, the marriages, having hope, also the kids. And so, um, you know, Ron Deal is a great resource if you don't know him, but he's he's got uh, got some great research that uh, it turns out, you know, we used to kind of think that the kids were a bit like hail damaged um, mm. and they weren't going to bounce back and through a divorce. But if you give them a mom and dad and, a, and their their new family who love Jesus and are available and love them uh, and invest in them, they, they thrive in really kind of the same ways that a traditional family would. So hold out hope. Don't tell them that they've messed up God's plan. A, they're sunk, they're, uh, they're doomed. So just settle in. Hopefully you won't, you won't miss plan B. And give them give them some hope, and I think, uh, man, if you if you have a healthy blended family, uh, you have got a gift that you can leverage because so many people um, who are blended are just struggling. And if you can find one, just know that you really do have an asset that you yeah. can leverage. Uh, those are really hard to come by. Is a high functioning um, blended family that loves Jesus and is wise and is doing a good job with their kids. Like I would find a way uh, to give them influence uh, in your church. That's so good, so good. Yeah, two quick things. So one is is on the uh, creating the right experience. 
experience. So uh, some of you might think, hey, your class or your ministry sounds great. It's probably all believers who come. We would actually say what we found is that 50% of the couples who come to our marriage ministry on the pre-married side and on the enrichment and crisis side don't go to our church. Probably about 20% of the couples in our pre-married class are non-believers. It's similar for re-engage. And so what we've learned there is that if we give them the right environment, if it's fun, if we care for them, if we look like we know what we're doing, they'll actually come and they'll invite their friends. That's amazing. And so it's not just designed for churchy couples. This is, as John said before, it's an opportunity to to reach the city. We really do want to reach as many couples as we can because we could point them to truth. So, Scott, that's amazing. Would it be fair to say that maybe that's one of the ministries that has the highest number of people who are don't identify as Christian yet in it? I mean, I, I don't think we'd say there's 20% of our audience on the weekend is not identifying as a Christian, right? Yeah, marriage and recovery. Yeah, yeah so it's I've, amazing. I've, I've got a felt need, and I will. Uh, so if I'm a skeptic, I'll at least tolerate you and your your message, right? So yeah. Non-believers are not showing up to learn how to study the Bible. Yeah. And going, hey, could you help me study this book? Which goes back to what you're saying that this is discipleship. So we're not pandering to the lowest common denominator and trying to be a felt needs only. We're just going. If you've got a felt need, Jesus can help. <laughs> and and while we're here helping meet that need that is really acute in your life right now, we're going to be able to also tell you the source of, of, of this life, and that's Jesus. And to help on the curation side, we actually put together last year a, a blog post that lists our recommended resources. And so if you're looking for a great marriage book, a good podcast, some articles to read, we're going to list those. We can put those in the show notes for you just to save you some of the work on what we think is some of the best stuff out there. That's great. Okay. So the culture is still interested in this topic. Amazing how many churches are still not taking advantage of this opportunity. Number three was that the core message has changed a little bit. Number four is that we need to think beyond marriage conferences. So last thing that we'll talk about today that we're learning and trends that we're still seeing out there in marriage ministry is that it always takes leadership from the top. Yeah, so my, I'd say two quick things here. One of them is that a, the reason why so many churches are not doing marriage ministry is because the lead pastor does not have a great marriage and is afraid to expose his own marriage. And so there's a reason why churches aren't doing it. The pastor doesn't want to deal with his own stuff. Okay, so now let's bifurcate the audience that just heard that. So some of them are sitting there going, I've been saying that for years about the lead pastor's marriage. And so what do I what do I need to do? So what, what would you say to the lead pastor? Yeah, so the first one, I, I would want you to know, one, you're not alone. Yeah. Right, John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. And then 1 Corinthians 7, 28, you know, if you're married, you will have trouble in this life. And so you, you're a lead pastor, you're a normal human being just like everyone else. You're not exempt from marriage problems. You're not special or above anyone else. You're just like the rest of us. And mm. so we all struggle. There, there's a level. I think part of why our marriage ministry has thrived here is because our lead pastor, our elders, our leadership team, John, myself, you, Adam, as we lead, we're not coming at it as these guys who are experts. We are travelers along the journey who who struggle just like everyone else. And so if you struggle, it's okay. That's what the body of Christ is for. Yeah. And so be real, be authentic. Hiding it is not going to make things go away. Okay. But if you want, if you want a soundbite, like, like, are you serious? Does this really matter? Yes. So we have worked with hundreds and hundreds of churches. And so if I get to place my bet, uh, you know, on a church, whether they'll have 
the successful run at helping marriages, however, you know, whether it's using programs or whatever, uh, and I only get one data point, I want to know uh, about the senior pastor's marriage, and I want to know, is he bought into this idea? Yeah. And if I just know that, I can tell you with really no other information whether this thing will go or not. And so um, that's the number one question, just if people want to know what's the number one question we get from churches or how, uh, what's where are they stuck? Uh, every time we, we have these conferences three times a year, uh, they want to know, how can I get my senior leadership engaged? Or I, they don't have a vision for this, or they won't talk about this. What, what do I do? That's, that's every uh, lay leaders or every key uh, marriage ministry leaders, um, number one pain is not the people <laughs> below them. It's the leadership above them. Yeah, so let's talk to them. So what, what, what advice do you give to that group? That, that are sitting there going, I don't know if leadership's bought in. Yeah. So number one, pray for them. I mean, yeah. I, um, where we see this go really poorly is when they get real amped up and they go in there swinging and, um, you know, and do a lot of damage and just, you know, just try just start wrecking shop. Hey, Watermark does it this way, or I've seen other churches do this and you don't get it. You know, what's your problem? That just is bad strategy. So uh, number one, pray. Uh, number two, um, you know, think about um what motivates them. And so generally for a pastor, he's thinking about whatever language he uses at the end of the day, he's trying to make disciples. And so, hey, you know, a pastor or leader or whoever's above you, I know what, you know, I understand the vision of this place and it is to, you know, either reach those that are far from God or it's to disciple people or whatever it is. I think this is a pretty amazing opportunity to do so. Yeah. Um, so then that would be step step number two is just to sync it with the the mission and vision of the church. Don't go rogue. Um, pastors hate rogue, and mm. uh, this is my thing, and I want to uh, I want to build a platform, and I want a microphone so people will listen to me. They they hate that and they sniff that out. Um, and then third, you just you don't want to ask them to like, um, you know put this in lights, um, make the next four Sunday morning services about this, um, just to kind of, you know, really take over their platform. And so this is Todd Wagner's line. He says, don't ask for their platform, ask for permission. All, all you're asking for is, hey, can I take a measured step here? And then you over communicate. And then when you have wins, you give them back to the, you know, your leader and say, hey, this is something we're celebrating that happened here at our church. And he can stand up and say uh, that. So if you're not the senior pastor, you win uh, when you do that. And then uh, over time, you know, the, the those guys kind of get it uh, or those gals or whatever your church polity is, they understand the value of this and they start talking about their marriage ministry, our marriage ministry, the things that God is doing here. And they talk about it kind of like it's their idea. Uh, then, then you won. Yeah. But that's a process. Don't go in there uh, mad and angry. Uh, I've not seen that work uh, very good so far. Any personal stories? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> about being angry all the time. No. Uh, but just watching other churches and it just like, it takes them, you know, two years to recover. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, man, pray for your pastor's uh, marriage or your leader's marriage and look for ways to encourage them, you know, um, you help them, like watch their kids, send them on a date night, you know, um, all, all those kind of things. That's um, great. So be, be a part of the solution there. So I'm sure there's some people listening who, who still are concerned and they've, they're prayed for their pastor and they've tried to address it. What do they do if the pastor just says, hey, this is none of your business. This is my problem. You deal with your own stuff. Um, yeah. So I would I'd go to them first, you know, always Matthew 18. And then if you feel like, you know, you've seen him, um, uh, you know, you don't you don't make an accusation against a pastor and elder, um, you know, willy nilly. Like you bring someone uh, else that the scriptures will call us to. Um, and then you can widen the circle if need be, you know. And so I, I do think a, a shift um in, in all of this is to help uh, leaders understand that this is their first ministry. Like if you don't do this one right, if you can't, that's qualification of an elder to lead his own household. If you can't do this 
right, then you don't have um, you, you don't have kind of the the right to have any more public ministry because you've not tending to your first ministry, and that, that's really really important. And so uh, we were just somewhere and. Um, working with some church leaders, you could just tell how novel that thought was. And they really were like sacrificing their own families. They thought in a, in a way that was good, right, and holy uh, for the the mission. And we just had to kind of course correct and say, no, 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 no. First, first, first mission, first ministry is your family. You get that right. Now, I mean, that's like, that's the, the ante to play the game. That's the table stakes. Um, and so once you do that, then you now have the right to play the game. And I think it's really important uh, for everybody uh, that's listening to understand that is your first ministry. It doesn't matter how gifted teacher or leader you are. If you aren't leading your family, you're, you're whiffing on your first ministry. You don't get a, uh, an opportunity to have a second one. All right, Scott, before we wrap up, any final words? Yeah, I would just tell, as a, as a reminder, just a little bit of a recap, this stuff absolutely matters. Yeah. Okay, the way that we conduct our own marriages, the way that the church has an opportunity to speak in to a culture that, that's really, frankly, just desperate for counsel. Right. If you All you need to do is look around on, on TV, you look at your family, you look at your friends, you look at your neighborhood, your workplace, you see that people are desperate and they're dying. Right, and the church just turns its back and is not doing what the church really is designed to do. And so this absolutely is such an incredible, unique opportunity for the church. And so instead of running away from it, being scared of it, turning your back, outsourcing to somebody else, why can't the church do what the church is designed to do? Amen. And so let's just take whatever that next measured step you have to take to help improve marriages on the pre-married side, the newly married side, enrichment, crisis— Let's do something that the church was designed and intended to do. Awesome. Amen. Amen. Well, we've, got, we've got names, you know, for all everything that Scott talked about. We've got the, those who have come to Christ. We've got the spiritually lethargic who have uh, come alive. And so, um, you know, if we can help you, we would love to. And we've, we've made a lot of mistakes and we, we love to share them uh, so you don't have to. Um, and if we can help you, uh, give us give us that uh, opportunity. One thing I was going to, uh, I just thought about, Adam, is that uh, I, I found some pastors who say, I don't want to preach on this because um, I have so many divorced people or so many people who aren't married. I don't want to hurt their feelings. And so I get this pushback. And I think just really, really quick, very practical. When you start a marriage series, you just say, hey, you know what, you can address the fact that not everybody in here is married and, uh, or that there might be some pain, but just simply say, hey, I think this applies to all of us. Uh, number one, God God talks about it in his word. We're going to talk about everything in God's word. Um, so then uh, many of you are married. Uh, if, if you're not, many of you want to be married. And if you're not married, don't want to be married. Uh, everybody knows people who are married. So this applies to everybody. Let's go. Yep. And just like you're into it. You don't have to have uh, a 20 minute um, lead up and just, just jump in. The, the window is open right now in this season for marriage ministry and uh, take full advantage of it. That's so, awesome. Good conversation, guys. So how about we do this again in 16 years? <laughs> you want to right. do that again? Do just it. see what other yeah. changes there are and how artificial intelligence and is going to impact marriage. I, and I wrote down, that. I wrote down one of my uh, one of my goals was just to make sure that I was married uh, when I was 50, you know, my 50 year wedding anniversary. I was still married to Pam and still loved it. So, uh, hey Scott, real quick before we leave, uh, you've been working on a little project that's oh, going to yeah. launch about this time. So tell us about that. Yeah, I have. So uh, I, you know, years ago I was looking for the perfect pre married book and couldn't find it anywhere. There are a lot of great marriage books and some good pre pre married ones, but I wanted to write a book or wanted to find the book that was biblical, authentic, practical. And so a book coming out on February 5th, 2019 with Baker Books. The book is called Ready or Not, 12 Conversations Every Couple Needs to Have Before They Get Married. And it is that biblical guide. It's not Scott's opinion. It's practical. 
It tells people what to do, and it's crazy authentic. Well, if you're listening on iTunes, uh, we would love it if you took a moment just to give us a review. We'd really appreciate that. If you have any questions or comments on today's episode or topics you would like for us to consider for future episodes, please feel free to contact us via email. We can be reached at clp at watermark.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.